All right, let me uh, open us in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of getting to gather today to, to worship, to share life together, and to do it in your presence. And Lord, as we look to your word now, I pray but by the power of your spirit that you would open our minds and our hearts uh, to what you have to say to us, and that you would invite us into a way of living that is richer and fuller, more real, um, more fruitful. Amen. Let me read a story to you um, from the Gospel of Mark in the controversy section where everyone's complaining about Jesus all of a sudden. It happened that he, Jesus, was walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along, picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, You know, haven't, haven't you ever read what David did when he was in need? And he and, he and his companions became hungry, and how he, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread. You know, and that bread's not even lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave also uh, some of the bread to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life, or to kill. But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians. They conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Some of you might be thinking, am I having deja vu right now? <laughs> it feels like I just heard this story. You might be having deja vu. I, it happens. Um, but you're probably just picking up on the fact that I read that exact same story last week. Uh, and if you weren't here last week, haha, it's a new thing. But if you were, I preached part one uh, of this sermon last week, the same exact text. And one of the things that we saw is that from our perspective, it's kind of like, what's the big deal? Like, what is the big deal with Jesus breaking the Sabbath, going through a grain field, healing a guy? Um, and I just want to remind us what we had talked about a little bit last week, that keeping the Sabbath was a big deal to the contemporaries of Jesus especially. I mean, for heaven's sakes, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and the cool thing about it is that no other religion uh, or nation kept the Sabbath. And so for a people who were consistently occupied and reoccupied and invaded and reinvaded by somebody new like Israel had been, one of the distinctive marks of them as a people was that they were the kind of people who kept Sabbath. And so for them it became much more than just a religious rite, but as an identity marker 
in a sea of changing identities. Their overlords may have changed over and over again, but the Sabbath united them as uh, one of the common practices. And so from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday every single week, the people of God would rest from their work and set uh, set aside time for worship and set aside time for rest and building into their relationships. The Sabbath was more than a day off. It was a sign. The Sabbath was a sign pointing with anticipation toward a day when God would come and dwell with his people and bring peace and bring true rest. Not just rest from one's enemies, but rest from corruption and death itself. The Sabbath was a sign that people could live and practice with their bodies and their will and their practices. By pausing to rest and worship, to relate and renew oneself, the people of God were, in a sense, practicing a foretaste of what they hoped to come one day when God would come. And when Jesus came as God in the flesh, the kingdom of God uh, incarnate in a human being, he came as the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise that everyone was looking forward to. And, and so in a very real way, the Sabbath practice, what that was pointing to, was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. The old way of keeping Sabbath on a particular day for particular hours for a particular purpose of waiting on God to come, in many ways it became ab- obsolete when Jesus came in the flesh. The Lord has come. God has come to dwell with his people. The beginning of the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. And so last week we learned to see Sabbath as a sign fulfilled in Jesus. And at the end of that sermon last week, I left us with this to ponder. If Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom such that Sabbath has always pointed to, then how does every day look different for followers of Jesus? How do we learn to live with better rhythms of work and rest? How do we ensure that we're living our lives and not merely managing our lives? If you learn that secret, I kind of want to know. How do we find rest with Jesus in this life that so often wants to harry us and hurry us and pressure us? How do we receive the grace and blessing and renewal of Jesus? Today, I want to spend time addressing those questions, and I propose that we're going to find the answers when we recapture one of the core elements of Sabbath, and that is to see Sabbath as a gift to us. When Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees about breaking the Sabbath, he replies that the Sabbath is made for humans. Humans are not made to keep the rules of Sabbath. And later that same day, uh, supposedly, Jesus heals a man with a withered arm. It's also on a Sabbath. If it's not the same Sabbath as the grain field, it's a different Sabbath. But the point is that he does these two things on Sabbath days. He makes a man whole on the Sabbath. Meanwhile, the Pharisees are so bent out of shape because Jesus is bringing, uh, is doing things, working on this day of divine rest, that they break the Sabbath but conspiring how to kill a man. Irony of ironies. The Sabbath is to be a gift that brings life, that brings rest, that brings wholeness. 
And the minute that the Sabbath becomes just another religious law to follow or a symbol of someone's loyalty to a group or to a movement, man, it loses its essence as a gift. Just before I read the sermon text tonight, Ryan read from Matthew 11. And in that passage, Jesus says, by the way, Jesus, the one who fulfilled the Sabbath, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus does not say, come to the law, all who are weary and and burdened, and the law will give you rest. He does not say, um, come uh, to religion, and religion will give you rest from your weariness, you know? Um, He does not say, come to a set of rules, and the rules will give you rest, and the rules will ease your burdens. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is the one Sabbath points toward, and I believe that when we practice a form of Sabbath that makes Jesus the focus, we will benefit. In particular, I'm going to talk about four gifts that are born when we practice a form of Sabbath, okay? So you note takers out there, there's going to be four things. I'm going to start with the first one right here. The first gift is that Practicing a form of Sabbath on a weekly basis is intended to give us rest for our bodies. It's intended to give us rest for our bodies. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do any of you have any experience with weariness? (laughs) It's almost a joke. Could you use some rest, some deep in your bones kind of rest in your life? One of the things that I appreciate so much about following Jesus is that he takes and the Bible takes our bodies seriously. That is not necessarily a given in secular humanism or in a lot of other philosophies and religions. This is not a given. But our faith, both in the Hebrew scriptures and in the New Testament, is deeply earthy and very much embodied. Today we're surrounded in our culture by lots of conflicting voices. Some of the messages in our, in our media and in, in our advertisements tell us to pamper, almost to worship our bodies, that the goal of life is to seek bodily pleasure. Now what's interesting is that in the same culture, with a lot, some of the advertisers that make conflicting products even, the message is also um, that to encourage us to always be busy. So one message from the same culture is like, oh, you should pamper yourself and go to the spa or whatever it is. And then the same producer might say, you know what? You should should always be busy and achieving and accomplishing and producing. And then there's still other voices, again, from the same culture that encourage us to see our bodies as merely biomechanical engines. They're just vehicles for the soul. And these voices imply that the body really isn't that important, so do whatever you want with it because what's important is on the inside. And whether the message is body as a temple or body as something to produce and be busy or body as lesser value than the soul, none of those voices are healthy or completely true. Scripture tells us that God intentionally made human beings in his image. And you know how he made us? Embodied. 
He made us with bodies that are limited. God made us with bodies that are limited. They're designed that way. You're not defective because you need sleep. That big thing on your shoulders, that brain, requires so much sleep. It's what makes us different than most of the animals out there. If, if you just think of it from like a, a survival, like a bio, if you're a biology person and you just think like survival, it has to be so important to get sleep because that is not a survival trait to sleep eight hours a day when there's predators roaming around and stuff, right? Like it must be that important that this thing that makes us think and creative and sentient needs that sleep. You're designed that way. It's not a defect. So <laughs> those of you that think you're limitless and trying to drink the Red Bull at night and the coffee, you know, not designed that way. We're designed by God to thrive when we have healthy rhythms of work and rest, stimulation and stillness, play and pauses for reflection. Jesus invites us to come rest our bodies, to accept our limitations, that we can't do it all. For some of us, that means making hard decisions, like, like the decision not to work when it feels like there's just too much work to be done. We come to Jesus because he gives us the strength to rest. I know that that doesn't make sense. It makes sense to me. I find I need the strength of Jesus to help me stop. Because I'm wired to not be able to rest until my to-do list is done and the to-do list is never done. For some of us, that means making the decision to stop and to pause. Sometimes the most holy thing a person can do in an achievement-saturated culture is to sleep, is to take a nap, is to read a book because you want to, not because you have to. So Sabbath can be a gift of rest and rejuvenation for our bodies. And if your religion is telling you to strive and depress and to overextend, it's not a biblical religion. You might even say, well, I was taught that in church. Maybe that particular teaching wasn't a biblical teaching. Hear me, loud and clear, following Jesus is difficult. <laughs> and there are certain times in your life, certain seasons when following Jesus is just hard. But it also includes the gift of rest the gift of Sabbath, not because we have to, but because we're designed to, because it's good for us. It's a gift. The second gift of practicing a Jesus-centered Sabbath is the gift of restoration for your soul. Humans are not just spirits trapped in bodies. We've already established, I hope, I hope I've convinced you that our bodies are designed by God and they're good and they're gifts. In fact, in the new creation, the Bible describes the resurrection embodied. We get resurrection bodies. We're not gonna be disembodied spirits floating around playing harps on clouds. We're gonna be embodied people in a new creation, albeit bodies that work better than these ones. Amen. But human beings are not merely bodies. We're not merely flesh and blood, synapses and chemicals. We're spiritual beings. We're moral beings. We're ethical beings. 
We're emotional beings. Humans can grow weary by more than just physical exhaustion. We can also grow weary by the burdens of emotional trauma and stress and sin. And one of the nuances that I find so powerful in Jesus' call to come and rest is the detail that in the Greek sentence, the most literal translation could be rendered, come to me all who are weary and have overburdened yourselves, and I will give you rest. Did you catch that nuance? Come to me all who are weary and have overburdened yourselves, and I will give you rest. You know, it's one thing for me and for you, to trust that Jesus is for us and that he wants to rest us when we've been burdened by other people, right? When we, maybe we've been oppressed by someone else, maybe when someone else's sin has stressed us out or hurt us in some way. You know, it's easier for me to be like, oh, I was picked on or whatever it is, and, and I bet you God cares for me and is compassionate for me and wants to rest me. It's another thing for me to wrap my head and my emotions around the fact that when I screw up, when I sin, when I overextend myself by saying yes to too many things, it's my fault. And the good news in that passage in Matthew 11 is, come to me all who are weary and have overburdened yourselves and I will give you rest. That's gospel for Enneagram ones like me and maybe you can relate to that, that how many times do we overextend ourselves? Do we get ourselves in our problems that we have? And God is compassionate to us about those things too. Is there good news for those of us who live under the weight of our own shame? our own past mistakes, our own opportunities lost, the rifts in our relationship that we're culpable for, is there any good news for that for us? Well, what this passage is saying is that there is. There is good news. There is good news when we've neglected our time with God and now we're at a point in our life where we feel lost and listless and directionless. And yeah, we could have had a better prayer life and we could have listened better, but God hears us in that moment when we cry out, and we say, I need you. And he says, I can rest you even now. That's really good news. Come to me, all who are weary by your own choices, by your own words, burdened by your own sin and mistakes, burdened by your lack of boundaries and your self-inflicted burdens, and he will rest you. And you will find rest for your souls. The Sabbath is not only about resting the body, it's about becoming more alive. You know, in tonight's story, Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand and he doesn't tell the guy, hey, you just need a nap. <laughs> you just need a Sabbath. But he restores this man to wholeness and to community. Jesus brought healing and new life. What if part of your Sabbath rhythm was not just to take a break from work, but to receive the rest from God, forgiveness of God, the healing of God. How do you do that? Well, you know, it really depends on you. You know, there's seasons in your life when you might just need some time in prayer. Maybe you just take 15 minutes on a day of rest and use journal, journal a prayer to God and say, I, I'm feeling stuck right now or I'm feeling really bad about this. And just, just going to him and receiving forgiveness. Have a little journal therapy or a little, little prayer time with God. I mean, sometimes that's, that's all I need. But you know, there's other times in your life when you might need some pastoral care. 
Or you might need to see a counselor or a therapist. Have you ever thought about Sabbath as being a day when you could do some of those things? Finding some healing in some of those deeper places in your life? I think that's a great use of Sabbath. You know, I kind of have a theory that uh, there's kind of a hierarchy of uh, how our culture sees different needs. Like, um, uh, most of us, if we had a toothache or, or some kind of injury, we would probably be willing to take some time off work to go see a medical doctor, right, or physical therapist. But for whatever reason, sometimes when we, when we have a, a counseling appointment, we try and push that thing to the shoulder, like a day off or after work, or some kind of weekend. How many of you have ever like taken time off work to go visit me <laughs> to talk through something? Like we just sort of, we just sort of see the body as more important because it's usually these acute pains or like uh, I've got carpal tunnel so I can't type or what, you know, whatever it is. But like our mental health and our spiritual health, we just sort of push down and we try and fit it in when we can if we ever do. What, what if that was part of your Sabbath? To say I, I, I could really can really talk through some of these things and do some healing. I, I think that's, that's maybe uh, a, a creative use of that time. The Sabbath is a gift of help to rest our bodies and to rejuvenate our interior lives. And a third gift of the Sabbath is that it can help restore our relationships with God and with other people. And let me just start with, with the relationship with God piece on this third gift. If you, if you practice resting your body and seeking forgiveness and wholeness and aspects of Sabbath, then you're automatically going to be closer to God, and you're going to be in a healthier place relationally. Like, if you get healthier, if you're rested and, you, and you're dealing with some internal stuff, you're probably going to be a better, a better friend, a better, better son or daughter, a better partner, all around, Okay? But let's get more specific. Having a relationship with God is more than how you happen to feel about God at any particular moment. And it's more than whether or not you have a, a good prayer life. I don't, I don't really know what that means, but however you define that, maybe, uh, maybe you're in a streak where you're like praying a lot and you feel like, I'm really close to God, and I hope you are. But you can also be close to God when you're not praying a lot. It's, it's more than whether or not we pray a lot to God or we think about God on a regular basis. Part of a healthy relationship with God involves practices that reinforce the fact that Jesus is our God. It's not just how we feel about him, or how much we talk to him, or how much we journal about him, or how many sermons we listen to, how many songs we sing, or whatever. You may think, that would mean doing a bunch of stuff for God on the Sabbath, right? Like, like, besides the call to follow and obey Jesus, though, if you just notice how he teaches and his example in the scriptures, we don't see Jesus loading people up with a bunch of religious things to do. You just don't see that. Rather, what you see is Jesus inviting people to follow and to trust and to mimic the way that he lives. Not necessarily even the details of how he lives. Uh, you're not supposed to be crucified. Uh, he did that for us, right? So like we, but how did he live? How did he relate to the Father? He relied on the Father. How did he relate to people? He, he served people. He respected people, right? So, so it's, it's his way we're invited to follow. You don't get a lot, bunch of rules and restrictions and, and, and religious things to do there. And the genius of Sabbath is that it helps us to practice trust, 
Jesus says, trust me, come and follow. Sabbath helps us to do that. You know, in modern Western thinking, when does the day start for you? Nancy, when does your day start? Five o'clock, because you're up. I know what you're, yeah. No. She's up praying for most of you is what she's doing. But yeah, the, the, the day starts for most of us in our thinking when the alarm goes off. Or for some of you, when the sun comes up, or you're when your biological clock, for those of you who have that rare gift that you just get up, you know, whenever. But it starts in the morning. That's how we conceive of things in the West. But you know, in Hebrew thinking, the day started at night when a person went to bed. And here's the interesting thing about that, is that the first thing that, that happens in the Hebrew mindset is that you become vulnerable. You're about as vulnerable as you can be when you're sleeping and sitting there. Like, I don't care how dignified you are. Maybe you're just like, you're a community leader or something like that. But when you're sleeping, I mean, you're drooling and like talking gobbledygook and like, I'm, I'm glad I'm not recorded. I've heard I do some weird things, but um, it, it's just very vulnerable to sleep. Like you're not controlling anything. You're not making anything happen. You're not closing a deal. You're not working your calendar. You know who's doing stuff is God's doing stuff. And when you wake up eight hours later, the earth is still on its axis and your mandula ablam, God has been telling your heart to beat and your lungs to draw air. And you've done nothing. And eight hours of the day are already completed and you're stepping into something God's already doing. I think that's a really healthy way to see life. And what the Sabbath does is encourage us to, to have that mindset for a 24-hour period where I'm not producing, I'm not trying to make money, I'm not trying to advance myself in any particular way. I'm enjoying the creation, the relationships that God has given me as a gift. This is a powerful way to enforce the fact that Jesus is God and not me. One of the ways I've been trying to grow in my relationship with God uh, is to trust that he loves me <laughs> and that he wants me to enjoy him more. That he wants me to enjoy others and that he wants me to enjoy his creation. Those are hard things for me personally. My personality is such that I find it like difficult to shut myself down unless my to-do list is done. And, and, and just like a lot of you, I don't, you know, if you, well, any kind of person, <laughs> but in ministry, for me, I, nothing, there's things that are never done. There's things that are never done. And so it's really a challenge for me to enter into a, a feeling restful. And so one of the things I've been trying to do is play better. Enneagram ones, when we're healthy, we play pretty well. But when I'm stressed, I don't play well. And so one thing I have to do to help myself play well is to plan play dates for myself. <laughs> so like last, last Friday, Corey and I went skiing for half a day up at Stevens Pass with my brother. Beautiful day. Got some great bonding time with my brother, who I don't get to see all the time. Uh, got to relate to Corey in a way that's beyond managing soccer schedules and meal planning and who's taking where who. Um, you know, we can go a whole week and not have a real conversation about anything of depth or anything fun because we have, we're parents of three right now and it's just crazy. And so I have, I mean, is that a weakness? Probably, but I have to plan it in. Otherwise, I won't do it. I won't allow myself to do it. And so for me, that's part of my Sabbath. I take Friday as a Sabbath day and I play for part of the day. An essential element of Sabbath is not just rest and play, but it's also worship. Like, worship isn't restricted to just singing songs or doing what we're doing right now. Um, thank goodness it's not restricted to listening to sermons either. It's responding 
to what God has done. It's responding to who God is. And you know, as I am learning to receive the gift of play and the gift of deepening relationships, it fills my heart with thanksgiving and joy and praise for a God who makes, uh, who's created me and you with the capacity to desire and to enjoy. It makes me want to worship. And I think that's, that's what Sabbath is for. The gift of Sabbath can help restore our relationships with God and other people. And I encourage you to think, how might you envision taking time out of the week to intentionally connect with God and the people in your life? The fourth gift of Sabbath extends beyond the benefits just to us and beyond the benefits of of those who we're directly close with. It's also a gift of rest and restoration for the world. According to the biblical Sabbath, people were to cease from working for a day so that they could rest and worship, but they were also commanded to allow the land to rest and allow their their cattle, their beasts of burden uh, to rest and to allow their servants or slaves to rest. Sabbath is, is a gift because it rests everybody. We no longer live in a culture, right, that observes a true Sabbath. And most of us don't have work animals, and you better not have any slaves. Um, and, and, you know, we don't have servants probably either. Um, so we have to get creative with how we apply this in our life. Um, if you have friends, partners, some of you have children, could we be better at encouraging them to rest? If you have any say over your household, whether you're single or um, you have roommates or you have a family, what could it look like to encourage people to rest? I've been thinking about that lately um, with you, Fia, just because you're taking all these AP classes and kicking butt in sports and doing all these things, and I haven't been great at, like, encouraging a time to rest, and, and so I feel like we could do, this. so let's, let's talk about that. Let's just have a moment right here. We could do that in each other's lives, encourage us to, to take some time to notice each other, to, spouses and friends and parents and, and children, we could, we could say, hey, I noticed you're working really hard lately. Are you taking any time for yourself, and are you taking any time to rest? Those are ways that we can um, that we can help. Also, um, other people in our lives, like if you've got employees, people you manage, people uh, if you own a business, that kind of thing, are we doing a good job um, making sure that, that people have space in their schedule uh, to find rest? I mean, we, you, can't, you can't make people have a Sabbath, but we can definitely create systems where that works. Because when it comes down to it, this fourth gift of Sabbath is really about justice, and it's about how we, we, we build structures in the world as followers of Jesus. We do have influence, how we, how we build healthy workspaces and healthy homes and healthy communities that, that value human life and value creation. That's one of the gifts that we get to practice as followers of Jesus. What about the land? Many of us don't have farms, but what does it look like to care for the yard? The trees, the flowers, the lawn, the vegetable garden, Is it missing the point of Sabbath to work on your farm if your job is a farmer? Yeah, probably. But as a pastor, I don't have that problem. 
And so the Sabbath, one of the things I like to do is to get my hands in the dirt. Sometimes I'm pulling weeds, sometimes I'm doing pruning, or I'm caring for the vegetable garden that Corey's lovingly planted each year. That's one of the joys I have, is to see how God's creation works and to nurture it and to cultivate it. It's part of what makes me happy. It's worshipful for me. You may not have servants, and we talked about this, but how do we treat those in our care in our workplaces? The Sabbath is a gift of justice to laborers and to the land. It's a foretaste of the kingdom that's going to come in fullness one day and make all things new. Practicing Sabbath rhythms is not another religious hoop to jump through. And it shouldn't be a badge of honor that we try and wear around our other Christian friends. Um, You see, in our culture, practicing Sabbath rhythms, I think, is an act of rebellion. It's an act of resistance against the tyranny of overwork and overstress and the unreflective life. Practicing Sabbath is a way of living out the hope that we have um, for the renewal of the land and for new bodies and for hearts that will be made right when the resurrection happens. Until then, until then, let's embrace the gift of Sabbath rhythms by responding to the words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and have overburdened yourselves, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm going to invite our worship team forward, and as an introduction to our time of communion, they're going to, um, to sing us into the table.